little while ago, I was watching a documentary of a World War II veteran, and he was sharing how he was now retired at the, at the filming of the documentary, but he said, uh, now that I'm retired, I like to go out on cloudless nights when I can see all the stars, and I look up at all the stars, and I think about all the men I fought with, and I just remember them, and how many there were, and what a difference it made. I just have never forgotten that little snippet of interview from that war veteran and now retired worker. Because when I retire, which is still a long ways away, I plan on going out on cloudless nights and looking up at the stars and thinking about all of you and how wonderfully, purposefully hard we worked to be a part of the kingdom of God in our generation. So when we can gather an event like this, uh, those of you who are ministering and serving in so many diverse capacities here at Resurrection, it's a very special thing. And I thank you for being here, but more than that, how thankful we are that we get to do this work of building a sanctuary of transformation together. Uh, what I'd like to do is uh, just look a little bit about the marks of our ministry together. Uh, we're all about the work of the gospel, both here at Resurrection and then all of you uh, throughout our communities, your families, marketplace, educational institutions, uh, beyond. And I'd like to look at Matthew 9 just briefly with you. This passage captured uh, my heart. You know how it is with Scripture. There are just passages you read and you read and you read, and all of a sudden, every once in a while, uh, God uses a kind of divine Holy Spirit highlighter, and they come alive in a whole new way. It's a beautiful thing about how God uses Scripture in our lives. For me, uh, this passage actually um, came in a really unusual moment. We had run our very first capital campaign as a church. Some of you were here and remember that. That was in uh, the spring of 2008. As a matter of fact, we did what's probably never been done in the Anglican church before or will ever be done again. And we actually ran a capital campaign in Lent. I don't recommend it. I'll, I'll put that chapter in my book someday. Don't run capital campaigns in Lent. They don't really go together, right? Because you're kind of trying to get everybody excited in a capital campaign in it's Lent. So you're calling them repent. You know, so repent and get excited. Repent and get excited. It, 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 was, it was tricky if you were here for that. Um, but we gave it our best. And, um, and it's, it's a longer story I don't need to go into. But it, it was a challenging uh, season for us at Resurrection. We're trying to raise... Uh, money for property that we ended up losing, thanks be to God, because by God's grace we gained this place. Uh, but I found it a very challenging experience to lead that capital campaign, very spiritually draining, and woke up actually very, very early on Easter Day morning. I was exhausted, but I just awakened because the Holy Spirit woke me up. And he took me right away to Matthew chapter 9, some seven years ago now. And he gave me this passage, and he said to me, this is Resurrection's future. I said, well, Lord, this is everybody's future. I mean, you know, this is universal. He said, no, but there's something very specific about Matthew 9 that's to be applied to resurrection. And so we've, I shared that with some leaders, but I've just prayed and sat on this passage for seven years. And I think now that we're coming to some really important new things, we'll run a new generosity initiative this fall, which is, that is very important, but secondary to what a generosity initiative means, which is you're really getting clear about what God is asking you to do for the next few years. And we'll look forward to sharing with you as leaders and the church um, over the next several months how we think God is leading us into this next season of ministry. But I can already tell very clearly it will be a new direction for us as a church. It will build on what we've done. It will celebrate 
uh, so much of what God has already accomplished, but it will go in a different direction. And I think we're being led in that different direction, and I'm being led in that different direction through Matthew 9. So let me just read it uh, for us, and then a few short comments. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What we receive in this really important passage where Jesus is uh, clarifying the mission of the kingdom in many ways. There's been a lot of discussion prior to this about his identity in the book of Matthew. He's interacting with Simon Peter at this point as well. Is We actually get four marks of gospel work. We get four marks of gospel ministry. I think you could extend this way really to be clear. These are really the four marks of the church. The church has a diverse and varying and multiple things, particularly a church like Resurrection. But it really comes down to these four areas are the areas that Jesus has very clearly called us to. We want to start with the word compassion there in line three. Extraordinarily important biblical word. Unfortunately, our English translation, as we now have received, it doesn't give us all of what Jesus is saying there. But Matthew uses that word, having lived with Jesus, being one of Jesus' followers. He uses that word to describe what goes on for Jesus. And that word really connects to, um, it's sort of the idea of, of the innards of a person. Uh, in old English, the bowels of a person being stirred, being churned. It's like you're inside being churned. So what happened for Jesus when he goes and he sees crowds, he sees sheep who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, he is actually churning inside. He's so connected. That's going to be one of the most important sort of contemporary parlance words used to describe Jesus. He is a profoundly connected person. So his insides are churning when he sees that there are so many who need so much. And that word and that understanding of uh, being profoundly moved connects with, with, with us. As we, as we look at the Lord, we're moved by the Lord's compassion. We have compassion because Jesus has compassion. We're internally churned because he is internally churned. As a matter of fact, if you try to make that happen for yourself, in our own human condition, and our own very narrow affections, I have a hard time getting churned about much. I'm too busy with a few things to care about sheep that are harassed and helpless, honestly. Unless I connect with the Lord. And I see His churning. I see how He treats the lost, how He treats the poor, how He treats the sinner. And then as I am moved by the Lord, so I am moved beyond then to what He's moved by. So it always starts with worship. Because worship is where we're moved by the Lord. That's where we inherit the Lord's compassion in our own souls and our own beings. Worship is the first and, and sort of initial catalytic calling that every one of us as workers have. So as we go back to the work of the church, as you go back to the work that you have, it always starts with worship. I know you guys are clear on this, but it still strikes me that's our eternal reality. People say, what are you going to do in heaven? Well, it's what we're doing here, only more fully. Always has been. There's always been the worship of God, is now, happening right now, and always will be. As we're moved by the Lord, He then directs us and gives an imperative. He says, ask. Other translations say, pray. 
He gives a very clear imperative. Interestingly enough, while he will say this in other places, in this passage, his imperative is not harvest. He's not saying harvest. He wants us to harvest, but that's not the imperative that he uses. When he wants to give the imperative, actually, he wants to take us to that word ask, to that word pray. That's really important to all, amidst all of Jesus' words, to pull out imperative, to pull out when he gives a command and he gives a directive. And let that word be boldened. And let the other words sort of cycle and circle around that word in, in, in an interpretive fashion. He gives us the word pray. So we are moved by the Lord. And first and foremost, we are moved to pray. It must be that prayer accomplishes far more than any of us have really fully taken in. Even those of us that love to pray, which marks us as a church, it must be. And that's the one imperative he gives in this passage. That prayer and asking must have far more influence and far more power than any of us, I'm guessing, have really fully given it credence to be. So when we're moved by the Lord, we enter into a life of constant, consistent, regular, beseeching prayer. And you all know the many parables. I don't need to go into all that now, but that's critical here. So, four marks of ministry. Worship. We're moved by the Lord to pray. What is it that we pray? We're praying for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So we understand that one of our key identities as Christians, yes, disciple, is also worker. That's a really good biblical word. Sometimes we get confused with it. We, we, don't, we don't want to get caught up in works versus faith. Or we, we think about, you know, the, the, the whole version of, you know, you know, work is tainted by the fall, whatever it might be. But in this case, let's be really clear. Work is a really good biblical word. It's really good to do gospel work. Which is what, first and foremost? It's our imperative, right? It's prayer. And what's the work of God? Jesus says to believe in him whom the Father has sent. Work is redefined in the gospel, but work is prayer, work is belief, work is trust, work is faith. This is really key work. And one of our key identities as Christians is that we're workers. As we're growing and maturing as a church and and looking at what's next, again, there'll be more detail about this coming out and uh, sort of summer and definitely in the fall. But I think one thing that's happening uh, that our leadership team is getting clear about is just how much we depend for the work of the gospel on all of you and many more who are doing all kinds of work both here at Resurrection and beyond. I think there's a new awakening um, and maybe even a deeper appreciation for the worker, the gospel worker, and the need that we have to uh, continue to think how more strategically can we equip you, release you, identify you in the work that you're being called to do. I think we've done fine. I think we've even done well at times. But I don't think we've come anywhere near as a church what it would look like to equip and to release workers. So, that's discipleship. That quadrant could be discipleship. That's formation. But it's formation for a purpose, which is the work of the gospel. Finally, we're moved by the Lord and removed to pray and removed as workers and removed for the harvest. Really critical biblical word. Fascinately enough, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Now, our, our Lord knew in a way that Matthew couldn't probably fully appreciate. Our Lord knew that when he used the present tense, the harvest is plentiful, 
that we will be reading this uh, two millennia later. And he used present tense for us as well. Which means that everywhere, every culture, every place you go, the harvest is plentiful. It manifests in radically different ways. Plentiful can be redefined in important ways. But I don't think we get to redefine the verb, a really important verb, in that sentence. I don't think we get to say, well, let's contextualize is. I think we have to accept is. I think we have to be submitted to is. I think it means that in every generation there is a plentiful harvest. Again, I'd work on redefining plentiful and what that looks like in certain countries, in certain eras. But there's always a harvest to be had. And it can only be had as workers are released and prayerful, moved by the Lord. So that means the question for our generation, the question for us as leaders here at Resurrection and workers here at Resurrection, is what's the nature of the harvest now? What does it mean that we're here in Wheaton? What does it mean that we're here in DuPage County? What does it mean that ethnically and uh, socioeconomically our county and our city are changing profoundly? What does that mean? How do we think about that? How do we understand that? What does it mean that God continues to bring um, uh, a, a remarkable kind of under 30 population to us at resurrection? What does that mean for you as workers and your work? What does that mean? What does it mean that we have hundreds of children? Hundreds at this church. I don't have all the answers to that right now, but I'm curious about the harvest that we're called to. Because it's very clear that we do the work um, for the sake of harvest. I'll continue to work on these themes and um, sort of unfold them over the next year here at Resurrection. But I wanted to get them in front of you all actually early on to get you praying, to get you thinking, uh, to get you praying through Matthew 9 as sort of a keystone, I think, for our work in the future at Resurrection. Um, we'll hear more about worship, more about prayer, more about discipleship formation, and, and more about mission and harvest, I can assure you. Um, just toward the harvest piece, I want to just let, let you all know, and I think you all got this. Um, uh, this, is, uh, this is a remarkable event that we're going to hold in March. It's a leader named Kevin Harney, and Kevin is coming to uh, teach us as leaders here at Resurrection. We're inviting folks from the diocese and um, as some of you may know, I, I have a, just a growing close relationship with three other uh, pastors in the Wheaton Glen Ellen area at uh, Willow Creek DuPage, at uh, Wheaton Bible and the Glen Ellen Bible. And so we'll be inviting some of those folks as well that want to come. But uh, Kevin Harney is actually coaching me right now. So I receive a, a coaching session with him once a month, uh, helping me grow as a leader. Um, this is just a remarkable uh, man of God. He is a true mere Christian. He just loves the Lord and loves his church. And one thing that Kevin has, he's an evangelist, but more than that, he has really done incredible work on understanding the operating system of outreach. Uh, he's just done beautiful work in thinking, how is it that churches, by releasing workers, not simply by having upfront events or parish missions or Easter days or Christmas Eves, all of which we'll continue to do as a church, but how is it that you actually go far deeper, far more organic to helping everyone in your church be involved in some capacity with relationships with those who are far from God. I love Kevin. I think he's a brother sent for us at Resurrection and for our diocese at a time like this when, quite honestly, uh, none of us within our diocese are seeing the kind of harvest that I believe we are supposed to see. And my guess is that's related to the fact that we haven't fully understand our workers and equipping our workers, and we're still learning how to pray, and we're still learning and being internally churned and moved by the Lord's compassion. So Kevin will be teaching. I want to just highly recommend uh, this. We'll do a 2 to 3.30 open session 
um, here on Sunday afternoon, March 15th. So in about a month, um, five weeks. So please keep this and come and bring folks. Uh, pastor Matt Woodley, our mission pastor, will be teaching into this um, over the next few months as well. And we'll be sort of incorporating this into our operating system. This will not have a big upfront push. It's going to be far more systemic, far more organic.